goal achievers, welcome to Elite Achievement, your go-to podcast for service-based business owners who want to achieve their goals and grow their businesses. Hear inspiring stories from other business owners, learn goal achievement strategies, and overcome the challenges you face when growing your business. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to help you achieve your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve. Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome back to Elite Achievement. I hear business owners frequently say, I want to be more efficient. I'm sure we would all like to get better results in less time so we can have more time to enjoy our friends, our families, and our hobbies. As we prepare for business planning and goal setting season, I've invited an efficiency expert, Libby Grywe, to today's episode. Libby teaches financial advisors how to grow their businesses while still having fun. She started her own financial planning practice in 2004 that she built into a seven-figure single advisor firm while only working 25 hours a week. We're going to have to talk more about that. Therefore, Libby knows what it takes to build a 100% referral-only practice and how to not have to grind out the hours to be successful. Welcome, Libby. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Libby, I'm so excited to connect with you. I know we've had a couple of chances to connect in the last couple of weeks. We got connected, I think, because I, I reached out to you. I was like, hey, we're kind of in parallel fields. I think we should chat. Yeah, yeah. Lots of synergy, lots of serving the same people in totally different ways and lots of parallel ideas. I love it. So awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about the work you do at The Efficient Advisor and what prompted you to start your own coaching business? Yes. Well, I will take you back to around 2008. So big year for me, I found out some really scary, scary news. I was pregnant. And this was great news, right? Because we wanted a baby, but it was scary news because I had been for the last four years, and I'm sure this will resonate with, with you and maybe a lot of people listening. I had been working around the clock like a complete crazy person you know, nights, weekends, whenever clients wanted to meet, if it was a Friday night at 6 p.m., yeah, great, sounds good. Saturday, 10 a.m., sure, I was there, I was your girl. And when I found out I was pregnant, it was like, I can just remember looking at my husband thinking and saying like, I can't work like this and have a baby. There's there's no way, like this isn't the motherhood that I wanted and dreamed of and that's not how I wanted to show up as a mom. So I really realized that I had to figure this out. And I knew I literally needed to cut the amount of hours that I was working in half and then maybe again in half down the road so that I could show up and be fully present. And But then I had that moment, right, where it's like, but I'm also really happy with the amount of money that I'm making. And I really don't want to give that up either. So I have to really just figure out how to do this same thing more efficiently. How did you figure that out? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. So it was like, I knew I needed to look at the amount of time that I was spending and how do I actually optimize and really scale myself. And then really it, it actually, it kind of boiled down to kind of three main things. It was building simple systems and processes for myself that we talk about it over at the efficient advisor. It was building a simple client service model that we could execute with a high, high level of client experience. And it was building a simple team 
with the right people in the right roles, with the right culture and the right vision. If I could boil it down to those three things, that's what it really allowed us to work more efficiently, more effectively, and more enjoyably. Did it take time to figure out those systems and the client model, or were you able to just put pen to paper and you're like, oh, I got it all figured out? It was definitely like a slow Band-Aid peel. Like I totally appreciate people who can just like rip the Band-Aid off and be like, okay, I'm going to go from 80 hours down to 24 I am not a Band-Aid ripper. I'm like the slow, painful peel type girl (laughs) that just lives in that pain as it happens slowly over time. So no, it took, it was a process of probably about four years for me to get from 80 hours down to 24. And it was a lot of trial and error and testing and getting the right team members. You know, you have to keep kiss a couple of frogs before you find your prince. You know, some of that kind of stuff to really figure out what was repeatable, what was delegatable, if that's even a word. I like to use it. I think I made it up and that's fine. It sounds good to um, me. <laughs> and what could I do consistently over and over again to get the same results? I think that's that's huge. Uh, I know so often it's difficult as a business owner to delegate. Uh, we sometimes have this belief that no one can do it as good as we can do it. Right. So how do you start figuring out what is actually delegatable, to use your word, in your business? Yes. So for me, it was creating shocker. We could probably play some sort of drinking game where every time I say systems and processes, we can all have a sip of wine or something. But for me, it was really creating a system and a process to figure that out. And it it all boiled down to that no matter what. So for me, it was understanding what it was that I was doing and literally laying out every single step of our financial planning process down in a big, and this is the kind of work that makes advisors or other entrepreneurs like really roll their eyes because it's awful. It's terrible. Nobody enjoys doing it. But once it's done, I promise it'll be a game changer for everyone. But it was literally getting step by step and really trying to understand what are we doing? Can I create a template for that? Can I teach it to somebody? And I actually, so I went to school originally for engineering physics. So at nerd alert, huge nerd <laughs> alert. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a recovering analytic. I'm in like step 11 of our program, but I actually would plot stuff on. So if you picture like a little chart with the Y axis, the vertical one for people that don't care about that kind of stuff, the vertical one being teachable and the X axis, the horizontal one being templatable. And I'd actually like plot, like, okay, where does this fall on here? Is it easy to teach, but really hard to create a template for? Is it easy to template, but kind of hard to teach? Or is it really easy to teach and template? And then that's the stuff that I started peeling off first. So, and then it was like, of course, like circling the things like, what do I hate doing the most? What do I actually get enjoyment and energy from doing? And so kind of a combination of those two exercises to really start to identify what is our process? What's necessary? What can I delete? What can I delegate? And what do I actually personally have to do? I literally just got off a coaching session before we jumped on the podcast to record. So I I was in a coaching session with my coach and this is what my coach helps me do. I, by nature, am not the kind of person who wants to sit down and document everything. I come up with an idea and I'm ready to go. And then I'm like rewriting the same emails over and over again. And what did I do? And how did I do it? And, And in order to scale and to be more efficient, we have to have these systems and processes. And I, I was so excited this year 
to create a planning day that I've been doing and various firms. And it's because my coach helped me literally write things down step by step. I know what to do first. I know what to do second. I know what conversations to have. I know what emails to send. And not only do I feel this sense of relief, but I feel very confident. So I'm guessing there's this element of confidence that comes out when you take the time to do this. Oh yeah. And nobody likes doing this work. I'm a quick start. So I'm a nine on the Colby quick start. Like this is like my worst nightmare. Detail work is not my jam by any stretch. So you know, I hated doing it. Every time I'm coaching advisors, they hate doing it. But nobody at the end of that exercise says, oh, what a waste of time. I wish I didn't have this all organized. I wish I didn't have it in a really easy to understand format that I could teach to other people. Like, like said nobody ever. Right, right. right. Yeah. So time investment up front. I always like to say we slow down to speed up. Yes. So as our listeners are thinking about the new year and they're getting ready to set goals for their businesses, what are some goals a business owner can set around being more efficient? Yes. So it's really kind of a commitment to making the time for it. And that's the hardest part. So I always encourage people entrepreneurs of any kind, whether you're a real estate agent or an advisor, that you at some point have to step into that CEO role. And, you know, often I think we're, especially in the financial planning world for that first like three, four years, we're just in that tornado all day, every day. We're handling the stuff that's right in front of our nose. You know, we're just trying to keep our head above water. And even though we see ourselves kind of doing the same thing over and over, it's like, I don't have time for that. I just don't have time for that. And it's exactly what you were saying. You have to slow down in order to speed up. And it's literally committing to, and I think often we jump to as, as business owners, I have to hire somebody. I just have to hire somebody. I have to hire somebody. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have 47 assistants, if you can't identify the things that you can delegate and delegate them well, and have a vision for your business, have a culture that you're creating, have a client experience that you're working towards. If you don't have your ish together, you can't it doesn't matter how many people that you have. So I always tell people to start by scaling themselves. So really figuring out where you alone, like once you are scaled and you've got yourself working at capacity, then it's time to hire. And a big piece of that is, is carving out the time. And I'm a huge proponent of, we call them CEO days where every quarter we step out of the office and really take time to put on that CEO hat and work on, what I've kind of identified as the five areas of, of a financial planning business that we really need to spend our time, energy, and effort in, and really dedicating ourselves to, and it doesn't have to be all at once, right? It's if I can just create one template a week, or if I can create one system every month, or if I can teach this one part of my planning process to somebody else every other week. You know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's that old adage of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I think often we think like, okay, we're going to do this big business overhaul and nobody has time for that. But if we break it down into teeny tiny little pieces. um, So for me, I'm always like, okay, what can I do in a 10 minute chunk? And this is where instead of getting sucked into Instagram or standing at the coffee machine and drinking coffee, another, you know, my 30 second cup of coffee for the day, what can I do at this 10 minute window that normally would feel like easy to blow off and actually do something concrete to work myself towards one of those goals? I love how you talked about the importance of making the goal smaller. I think we get so excited 
to become more efficient and create all these standard operating procedures. And once that initial excitement wears off, it's like dread and overwhelm because all we can think about is how big this project is going to be and how much time it's going to take and how many things are involved. (laughs) And if we take just a moment and write out, okay, what does be efficient actually mean to me? What is all involved in that? And then what are the steps that I'm going to take you can use those 10-minute blocks of time to execute and start making progress on that list you just created. Yes, right? So yeah, you have to take these more abstract ideas and put them into concrete terms. And we're always setting goals when motivation is super high, right? And it's such a fleeting substance. So by January 7th, when that has totally worn off, and now it comes down to discipline and it comes down to having, shocker, a system or a process in order to keep moving forward on those goals. Everybody drinks some caffeine. I was just going to say, is that a drink time? If everyone's <laughs> whoever's played along, right? <laughs> what are some common mistakes you have seen business owners make while growing their businesses? The number one thing is advisors literally doing everything because they can. And having that difficult time of trusting and building competency and building confidence in in hiring team members and being able to give those things away. So it's definitely like it always starts with you're doing too much. You're trying to do all the things. Then the second one would be the more nichier you can get. So the, the tighter your niche, the more efficient you can actually operate. And again, it's that idea if we want to be all things to all people, we have to have a certain system and process or a way of planning for young families. That's different from people who are pre-retired. That's different from people who are, you know, in the late stages of, of life and are thinking more estate plan. Like you have to have all these different systems and processes and different planning knowledge. And you have to stay up to all the things. Your team has to be updated on all the things. They have to know all the things. And it's harder to streamline when your focus is scattered. I have heard it said, the riches are in the niches. Yes. And I love how you just back that up with systems and processes. At what point do you think a business owner should start to niche down? Yesterday. Really? Yes. So the sooner you can do it, the better. And I know like... So where I spend most of my time is those advisors who have been like doing this for a couple of years now. They they know they're going to be able to pay the mortgage and put chicken nuggets on the table for their kids when they rush in the door. Like they're good, right? They know how to plan. The, the scarcity mentality has started to drift away just a little. And now they're left with this like, holy crap, I've built this really amazing business, but it's sucking the life out of me. It's running me. Like this is that moment where... The, the t- we can start saying, okay, there's no more scarcity, the tighter we can go. But then I've seen people who start off with a really hard niche and it's like, oh my gosh. So I'll, I'll share a story. So I read this article, maybe, gosh, it's probably been 15 years. I like to think, I'm like, oh, just a few years ago when I started. <laughs> Time no, it was goes by real fast. <laughs> it really does. It was probably a decade and a half ago, to be totally honest. But it was this article about this financial advisor who started and day one, he said, I'm only going to take million, million dollar plus accounts. And I just remember being like, who is this guy? Like, who does this guy think he is? Who just marches off the starting block saying, oh, I only work with millionaires and I only invest in minimum. And by the end of the article, I was like, huh. And he was talking about how he was pouring all of his time and energy into hanging out at country clubs and doing all these fancy things. And at the end of the year, he had two clients. And I remember thinking like, huh, he has two 
million dollar clients. And I guarantee there's a lot of us running around like crazy people trying to get 10, $200,000 clients. And now we have 10 clients to manage and 10 relationships to manage and 10 processes to execute versus this guy's two. And love it or hate it, I just remember thinking like, hmm, maybe coming out of the gates with something a little bit tighter or a little bit more specific actually makes a ton of sense. And I've seen it over and over again where people just go day one, hey, here's what I'm doing. And the beautiful part is, is as long as you're not getting a face tattoo that says like, I help, you know, uh, like pharmaceutical sales reps, that you always have the ability to pivot and change and as you grow up in the career and as you grow in your knowledge and figure out what you really love doing, you always have the ability to kind of shift and pivot anyway. But I thought it was a, yeah, I, I, the more I've seen it, the more I'm like, yep, the earlier you can do it, the better. I experienced that myself, Libby, in my own business because there was time earlier on where I thought, well, I can help everyone achieve their goals. And certainly I can definitely help a lot of people achieve their goals and when I got really clear that I get a ton of energy working with service-based business owners, and I especially get jazzed up helping women financial advisors who have leadership ambitions, now everything became so much simpler. I know what to say yes to. I know what to say no to. I start creating different systems and different processes. It's you can streamline your communication. You streamline, like for me, I can streamline my coaching questions, my processes. It's wonderful. So niching down is a best practice for business owners. What are some additional best practices for business owners who want to grow their business? Okay. So for me, if I could pick three, it would be executing. And again, maybe we could start a new, new drinking game with the CEO day but it would be executing this CEO day as a best practice, carving out that time to work on your business, not in it. We've all heard it before, but having a lot of structure to it. It's not just like, a, oh, I'm going to take two days and go to the spa and like all these great ideas will come to me. I mean, that's part of it, but actually having a system or process to execute those CEO days so that you leave with tangible, actionable steps that you're going to take. The second one would be building a model or an ideal week and really figuring out where your energy is, making sure that you have adequate time to do all of the things. And it's funny because when I started as an entrepreneur, I remember thinking like my husband was an entrepreneur too. So we were like, look at us. We don't have any structure. We can sleep till noon and work till midnight if we want to. Aren't we amazing? And it wasn't until having babies, that I started putting all of this structure in and I realized, oh my gosh, the more structure I have, the more freedom I actually have. And I was so like, Ugh, I'm an Enneagram seven. The idea of structure just makes me want to vomit. And I realized the only reason that I could work three days a week was because I had a really, really tight model week with the appropriate amount of time at the right time of day for me adequate time for me to communicate with my team, adequate time for me to educate myself, all the things that we need as a business owner having, and that's part of that scaling yourself piece, right? Like making sure that every minute that I was spending in my office was super duper effective. The third one for that, um, you know, idea of, okay, like what are some best practices would be buying back your time literally all over the place, anywhere that you can buy back your time by hiring somebody else, whether it's in the home um, whether it's something simple like, I don't know, one of those like 
home chef meal deliveries where the groceries show up and the onions are all cut up. Like it's worth paying a premium for if it's buying back your time because time is such a limited resource. And as you start to grow in income, having certain revenue goals or take home pay goals or whatever that looks like, but you know, or if it's having someone clean your home or if it's yeah, paying someone to do your laundry. I mean, there's so many little services out there, like a shocking number of little services that allow you to be either more effective in your business or more fully present when you are home. I had a day uh, recently where I was back to back with clients. I thought, I'm hungry. I'm a human. I have to eat. So I ordered a salad from Grubhub and I get to the total. I'm like, $29 for a salad. And then I, I had to shift my mindset to think, well, how much of my time would it have cost for me to walk to Whole Foods and build the salad on the salad bar, come home? I'm like, well, okay, well, maybe $29 isn't that bad. But right. if anyone right. from Grubhub is listening, seriously, how did a salad turn out to be $29? I am in the wrong business. This is what we should be coaching. We have to start meal delivery services. Oh, yes. All right. Let's go back to the CEO day. Libby, yes. you've mentioned the impact of a CEO day a couple of times. Yes. What is involved in your CEO day? What do you do on your CEO day? Yeah. So in, a, in my perfect world, it would happen at least once a quarter. That's like where I always tell people once a year, we're going to do a, a bigger offsite, hopefully overnight, bigger kind of goal setting, vision casting. Like here's all the things, like the five pieces of my business that I like to break down. Here's all of this stuff. And then quarterly having at least a day offsite that we are diving into the details. And there's five areas of business, but I always am like, okay, let's pick three categories from each one that we're going to focus on this year. And we're only going to pick a few to work on at a time. So having this giant brain dump, getting all of the things out there, giving myself adequate time um, to really kind of prioritize, look at old brain dumps, figure out like what still makes sense for my business, what doesn't make sense, and to actually track stuff. And this is one of the biggest gaps I see with financial planners is we don't track anything. And how do we go back and analyze our marketing efforts? How do we go back and analyze the productivity of our team members? How do we go back and analyze anything if we don't actually have data? We just go based off of memory and we all know how that that plays out. Yeah, usually not in our favor. <laughs> no. Yeah. Hard no. So I look at different categories and and each one I kind of prioritize, like what's something that really needs to be focused on right now? So for example, let's say it's money. So money is one of the categories. So we'll look at profit and loss, figuring out, okay, I call it income versus headache. What percentage of our income came from different lines of business or different areas of our business or different streams of income? And then what percentage of our headaches was that line of business, that stream of income? And are they in line? Because all the time I'll have advisors and we start breaking this down, they'll have this teeny tiny little stream of income that makes up the vast majority of their stress, their overwhelm. And it's like, is it worth it? Like how much of your headache is related to this particular category? This might be where we're looking at ROI and marketing. We're looking at expenses. Um, we're looking at our sales funnel, like all things money related. And I might pick one or two and be like, okay, this quarter I'm going to look at my P&L 
This quarter, I'm going to analyze the different revenue streams. This quarter, I'm going to look at my marketing ROI, you know, and kind of spreading it out over the year. That helps because as a CEO of your business, there are so many things to focus on. It could feel really overwhelming to do all the analysis in one CEO day. So it sounds like best practice is schedule at least one CEO day per quarter and come into there and have your areas of business that you're working on. And within each area of business, you've got a couple different categories and you're only working on a few things at a time. When I leave the CEO day, I want advisors to have three things. Like here are the three things, like we might analyze this and we might look at this piece, but I really only want to have three goals coming out of this, this day. So it might be, you know, like one of the CEO day tasks, I have a problem solving category. So it might be, okay, what process, what processes do I need to put in place? Well, we can think about all the processes, but we're only going to pick one. And it's going to be this one process that I really need to get done in the next 90 days before I sit down for this CEO day again. So it's looking at every category doing the CEO work, but then only picking three things to focus our attention and effort on until the next CEO day so that we can actually get them buttoned up and we're not scattered about. So what do we do with all those ideas and pieces of inside and inspiring moments that will happen in between CEO days? So I know a lot of times business owners or financial advisors are doing continuing education and they're going to different coaching sessions and they're going to different meetings and they're learning all these things and they think, oh my gosh, I have to implement them all. What do we do with them in between (laughs) CEO days? We've all been to that conference where you're sitting there in the audience and you're just like taking notes like a crazy person and you have like all the ideas and you're like, we're going to do literally everything on this list. And then you get back to your office and then like maybe six weeks later, you see the binder from that conference sitting on your table and you're like, huh, I didn't do anything with that. Like how, like how do we incorporate that? So for me, same thing when I go to a conference, I do or, or go to a, a regional meeting or whatever that looks like, I have a dump sheet where it's a brain dump. And I just put everything on there, why I think it's such a great idea in the moment, because that might change. And again, I'm only going to put it in my CEO day folder. And then on my CEO days is when I'm going to look at that. Because if I come back from the uh, conference and I start telling my team, oh, I really want to work on this. And I think we're going to do that. It overwhelms everybody, especially when there's no strategy behind it. We haven't laid out any steps. We haven't even talked about whether or not it would make sense for our business. Do we have time for it? Do we have the capacity for it. It just overwhelms literally everybody. So I have like a CEO day binder that I have all of my little worksheets for all of these different categories in. And I just would stick them every time I did a brain dump. And I kept a brain dump sheet on my desk all day because I have ADD. So anytime I had one for home and one for the office. And anytime I think like, oh, I got to get the kids swimming lessons. You know, when does, when does booking swimming lessons happen? I'd put that on a family sheet and then I could be done with it. My brain would be like, oh yeah, we're happy. It's written down somewhere. Um, and then I take at the end of the week, I'd take a picture on my phone in case I lost it because I lose things all the time. But I would try to put it in my CEO day folder and then not revisit it again until then. And then I could really sit down and go, was that such a great idea? Does it actually fit our business model? Do we have the capacity for that? When would we execute it? What else would we need to put in place first in order to be able to make that happen? And really think more strategically about them versus more emotionally and you know, just kind of getting wrapped up in all the excitement. For sure. I found this to be true in my own business when I do my quarterly reviews, which sounds similar to your CEO day. And I'll sometimes look back and think, why 
why would I ever want to do that? What was I thinking? Like that, that does not give me any energy at all. Right. And this has been a discipline I have had to learn. Cause like, like we talked about, I'm an executor. I like to go, go, go. And so I'm, I'm working on this practice of not implementing right away and not deviating away from my focuses and priorities. Yeah. Cause if I already said a month ago, like, Hey, these are the three things that I'm that are critically important that I'm going to work on that are really going to move the needle in my business. And then the shiny object over here distracts me from those three. Not only am I not going to get the shiny objects done or done well, I'm also not going to execute on the three things I already identified as being critically important. Yes. So we're coming up on the end of the year and there are listeners out there who are feeling fired up because they're having their best year ever. And there are listeners out there who are feeling so bogged down and burnt out. Yes. What advice do you have for those listeners who are feeling burnt out from all the daily operations of their business? Yes. So typically when people are feeling burned out, I always say, you you need a business. And what I mean by that is, is right now you have a Libby or you have a Kristen. If the business cannot function and cannot operate without you, you do not have a business, you just have a you. And so the first thing that we need to do is to actually sit down and go, okay, how do we scale ourselves? What do I need to do to create a business? How do I start offloading some of these tasks so the world does not depend on me? It's that feeling of, I can't get it all done. There's not enough time. The world's going to stop turning if I take a two-week vacation. Uh, Those are the types of things we need to be like really, really focusing our efforts on, on building a business. And I also tell people, if you're really burned out, you probably suck at math, which to any financial planner is very offensive, but we all are terrible at it because we add, 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 and we never subtract, subtract, subtract. So we just keep going, oh, that's a great, oh, look at that shiny idea. Yes, we're going to add that. And and we never think about our own capacity. And 99% of the time when this is happening, the only person that pays the price for it is ourselves. We end up feeling like a crappy mom because we're not you know, doing as much one-on-one time with the kids as we said we would, or I'm not working out because I need to get to the office an hour earlier than yesterday. And I don't have time for that now, or I'm not going to make that healthy dinner because I worked late. I have to grab something on the way home. So the only person that pays the price for not being good at math is you. And sometimes then it trickles over to your team and your family. The third thing would be not tracking our efforts. So really, again, coming back to How do you know where you're being effective? How do you know where you're wasting time or you're wasting money? How do we know where we could be more efficient if we're not actually tracking things? And I've found, I can't tell you how many times I've found like when I was analyzing my business or my planning process or working with advisors and we eliminate parts of their process, how their clients don't even notice it. Or like, so really determining like which pieces are actually impactful and is there anything that takes time but really doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to the clients. And can we eliminate that? But we don't know unless we're actually, you know, documenting our process, whether we're actually tracking our efforts, it's it's impossible. So if for me, it would be building an actual business, not a you, it would be stop sucking at math. And if you're going to add something, you need to figure out where you're going to take that time from and then track your efforts. There was a time in my business where I thought I have to post on social media five days a week. And I worked with my, my virtual assistant and we created this 
awesome social media schedule and we had a theme for each day of the week and like we were pouring a ton of time, energy, and effort into posting on social media. And as of today, the majority of my clients actually come from a referral, not from what I post on Instagram. So important right. to note. And we got to a point where there was another priority and there just wasn't the amount of time to keep doing the five day a week posting. So we stopped. And you know what? The world didn't end. No one noticed. It wasn't like I got a bunch of DMs. It was like, I'm missing your post on Wednesday. Are you okay? No yeah. one noticed. The numbers <laughs> didn't change that dramatically. And I thought, oh, wow. I had just created a big to-do that wasn't even necessary. Yeah, but you never know until you try. And and it's it comes back to, yeah, like analyzing stuff and saying, is it working? Is it not working? What would happen if we didn't do it? How much effort, how much headache is it related to the actual revenue that it's bringing into our practice? Yeah, always going back to, I love what you said, the income versus the headache and taking a look and really asking yourself, is the income worth the headache? Um, so really great piece of advice there. What are the most important processes to put in place to grow a business? Oh my gosh, every single process, every single one. No, but if I had to pick the absolute 100% most important process that most advisors miss is having a killer onboarding experience. And not just like, oh, here's how you find your statements and here's the paperwork. Like there is that business to consumer piece that we have to focus on in the first 100 days, but there's a lot of data supporting that the experience that your clients have in the first 100 days of their relationship with you is disproportionately related to the longevity of their client relationship. So if you get those first 100 days right and have that great business to consumer, you know, not let things slip through the cracks, but also this really great human to human connection. If you put the effort in, in those first 100 days to have a killer onboarding, you will have clients for life and, and you'll turn prospects into clients and clients into referral generating machines. That's great. That is a great place for someone to start and could be a great goal for someone to have for the new year is start with your client onboarding process. Yes. I love that. The other one would be, and we kind of touched on it earlier, but having a really good financial planning process and figuring out which of those pieces are scalable, which can you delegate, which can you delete, which can you automate and which ones do you actually love doing? Yes. Fantastic. Well, this has been such an energizing conversation, Libby, and I know you are leaving our listeners with so much insight to help them step into the new year and scale themselves, schedule those CEO days, and think about those systems and processes that are really going to make a difference so they can drive more revenue and make more of an impact in the marketplace. Thank you for everything you shared. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you. With that goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on goal achieving and business growing wisdom. If you want my best goal achieving tips and a monthly reminder to check in on your goals, join my email list at kristenburke.com.